Hello and welcome to the Chunda Living Podcast. My name is Charlie and I'm joined with a guest today named Phil. Say what's up, man. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I have been a guest on your podcast, which I really enjoy, which is the Third Eye Podcast, and I was excited to invite you on to my podcast to talk about a subject which is so important to living in China, and that is the subject of the Chinese language. Oh, yeah. In addition to that, there are some very other interesting things to get to as well, and I'll start off right with that, which is that you were in the news recently yeah. for what? Tell us what you were in the news for. Well, first of all, it was surprising to me that I was in the news. I didn't have any idea that that was uh, likely to happen. So I, just as I was about to graduate, I got a call from uh, from Sichuan University. I graduated about two months ago. Just as I was about to gra- graduate, I got a call from the uh, foreign students office and they were like, hey, there's an event at the PSB on Friday. And I was like, an event? Like, what do you mean? Sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah. They have the best parties. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, they were like, well, there's this new policy they want to talk about. We think it'll apply to you. And I was like, okay. And so I really didn't even know what was going on. Then I went and I was like, oh, okay, it seems to be about a new visa policy they're having. But, you know, I kind of thought, well, so what? I mean, how, how often are new v- visa policies happening? Does in that China? warrant an event? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, you know, I, I was... I could see that the entrepreneurship visa that they were offering might apply to what I was doing. I was like, they were like, hey, if you graduate from a Chinese university and you have a good idea, uh, we, you, you can apply for this visa. And I was like, well, I'm a, literally about to graduate in one week and I am already running a business, uh, Mandarin Blueprint. And I was like, well, uh, give it a shot. I just sort of thought it was worth worth my time to try it out. If I didn't get it, whatever, I would figure out something else. But um Anyway, so I went through the process of you know figuring out what documents I had to get together, and then uh, applied for the visa. And I was working particularly with this one uh, lady there, who was very friendly and very helpful the whole time. And uh, then I said to she said to me one day, "Hey, your visa got approved." And I was like, "Oh, that's great, great news, two year visa." And then she said, "Can you come in tomorrow around 10 a.m. to pick it up?" Uh, we might have a couple of uh, reporters interview you, but I thought, okay, whatever. It's like, it's cool. And she did mention, she was like, you're the first one to get it. But I didn't think that was any big deal. I was like, well, the reason I got it was just because it just came out and then I applied for it. Like, it's not like that's any big news. But anyway, so I... Is this is this your first one to get it in Chengdu or Sichuan or I China? Think it's, uh, I think it's Chengdu, but I probably if it's Chengdu, it's also Sichuan. But right. I, okay. I doubt it would be all of China. Maybe. Um, but yeah, they would have told me if it was all of China. But anyway, so like... I showed up there like right on time, right at 10. And they were like calling me a bunch of times while I was on the way. And I was like, I'm, I'm coming. And I didn't realize it was so important because I walked in and there was just a room full of like media and reporters there. And I was like, suddenly like, oh my gosh, okay. And so I suddenly felt like I was on stage really quickly. But then it was cool. You know, it all went well. And um, a bunch of people were just asking me questions about, okay, so now that you have this visa, is it going to make life in China easier? And I, I am very grateful. I was super lucky, you know, um, to the timing of it was really, really great. And so uh, that's sort of what happened. And then the next thing I knew, I was, you know, all over all these articles and, uh, you know, even a couple of English articles and whatever. I was like, wow, okay, so this obviously is big news to, to people to some degree. And, I, you know, I'm, but I'm, at the end of the day, I'm very grateful. It was just uh, good timing, really good timing when they came out with the policy and, you know, me graduating and all of that. Congratulations. That's an incredible nod to get. You know, yeah, I feel like yeah. the PSB doesn't give the nod to many people. So you're you're a rare recipient of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can say that for sure, during the whole process, I just figured the best thing to do here is to be as 
respectful and grateful as possible to everybody I'm talking to because it's like, wow, you're offering me a two-year visa just to stay here. And I mean, I've been paying for visas through paying for my tuition at Sichuan University for the past three years. So any visa was, you know, at least over a thousand dollar expense. I mean, obviously I was also getting education as well, but like, uh, now I don't have to you know worry about that for all I paid was the visa processing fee. And now I have two years of, you know, not having this big expense on my plate, which is just, it's a big relief. So, right. You know, you deserve it more than anybody I know here, I think. Oh. My, when I first saw the news article, I thought, oh my God, Phil's in the Chinese news. And then I thought, oh wow, you've gotten this entrepreneurship visa and you're the first person to get it and it's like this big event and there's all this pageantry and stuff. But I was thinking, man, you are just like the perfect guy to get this. You speak outstanding Chinese, you're a really well-spoken guy, you're like a big white guy. <laughs> you're like, check every single box is like checked off. You're like respectful, you have a good network of people. You're like really, really contributing and promoting Chinese culture mm. in like a very unique way. There are a lot of entrepreneurs here and I've had many of them on this podcast. Mm. Almost all of them are bringing our culture from America and promoting that here mm. through a lot of businesses, restaurants, um, food and beverage, you sure. know, a lot of those things in particular. But you're not doing that. You're promoting Chinese culture in Chengdu as a foreigner. That's a very unique position to be in. And I can see why that really sets you apart. Well, I that's you know, I never really thought of it that way, although I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. The way I the way I look at it, um, and this is how I've kind of looked at it for a long time, is that you know, I'm a big fan of culture in terms of the things about culture that are like unique to the geography of a place or the things that are like like the music, the food, the things of that nature. But I'm not a big fan of culture that divides people, you know, that makes people think like, oh, well, I'm just fundamentally different from this group of people because of XYZ culture, cultural thing or maybe a religious reason or something like that. Because the way I see it is human evolution is just so much older than even culture as a concept. Like it's like, you know, society or civilization has existed for, you know, five, 6,000 years. Ancient Mesopotamia was the first civilization. And it's like, but human evolution, I mean, just the evolution of language, shall we say, just when we separated from, uh, you know, our common ancestor with the chimpanzees, it's like, that's 200,000 years old. And so from a physiological, biological standpoint, there's so many more common points that I have with a Chinese person than, you know, the cultural difference differences that we have. I mean, those are interesting and I'm not saying they don't matter at all. I'm just saying that as a result of that, I always am trying to look for what's the thing that's going to unite people more. Um, because you know, there's so much going on in the world today. It's a bit of a period of chaos in the world at the moment, but, uh, I still think that because of the communication, uh, channels that are becoming more and more available now, it's like, we need to just learn and listen more. And that's one of the things I've learned from Chengdu people as well, because the Chengdu people are great listeners. I feel like that's the best thing you could say about a, a group of people is that they really, you know, if you sit down with an individual person, I mean, like if you're just walking down the street or something and observing people walking down the street, you know, you may not think anything special about them. But if you, every Chengdu person who I really sit down with and just start talking about life and philosophy and whatever, I've noticed that they're just open to listening to what you have to say, even if they totally disagree with you. They'll still let you finish. And, you know, as, mm. a, as I'm sure that you can understand as an American, I'm an American as well. Like sometimes it's people are just waiting for their chance to talk. And so it's it's really refreshing. So that's kind of what drives me in that sense. And uh, yeah, like I suppose I've just been so blown away by so many things about Chinese culture that I think it's just natural that I 
talk to other foreigners about it when I get a chance to just be like, oh, this is so cool about this, this, this. You know, so anyway. Yeah. Sure. So let's back up a little bit and give people who are maybe are not familiar with you or with Mandarin Blueprint a little bit of an introduction to who you are. So you run a business in Chengdu called Mandarin Blueprint. Mm. Tell me about that. How did that start and what is the goal with that? Yeah. So um, I work with this uh, with a partner named uh, Luke Neal, and he's the man. He's incredibly good at Chinese. He's a really creative guy. Uh, very, you know, it's it's a it's a great person to work with because we have two like sort of uh, separate but very useful skill sets. And so we've been working together for about twenty months now. And the reason why we originally worked together, I mean, originally we were just friends, just knew each other from around town, and uh, we got to talking in the early days of learning Chinese, and we were like, okay. Uh, you're learning Chinese, I'm learning Chinese, and he was like also doing this method of learning characters that I was doing that I had never seen anybody else doing apart from the original guy who introduced it to me back when I was in Philadelphia. This is the Heisig method? The, the Heisig method, yeah. And so he was doing it too, and I was like, wow, cool, so how is it going for you? And then and then he was like, yeah, it's going pretty pretty good, and I was like, have you ever heard of Anki, which was a sort of uh, spaced repetition software, and he hadn't heard of it before, so I started showing him that, and he was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And so we just started trading notes from that point on, because it was like, he had, he was he was really into like looking into Chinese forums and uh, like hacking Chinese and finding uh, stuff on the web that would you know help him get faster at learning. Um, and I was kind of I'm I'm a bit more like let me find my own way. I'm not, which is a bit uh, well. Eventually, I ended up signing up at university because finding my own way wasn't really working for me too well. And so uh, we were just trading notes, and then we had been seriously studying for about two years. Uh, well, I guess a little bit less than that. And I signed up for the HSK six purely because of a Chinese forum post that he told me about where this guy on, I, I can't remember who it was on the forum, but he was basically saying, there's no way to pass the HSK-6 in two years. Can't be done. And I was like, challenge accepted. Because I was seeing how quickly I was learning characters and how the characters were sticking by doing the method, the Heising method, plus a method we found on a blog called uh, Country of the Blind to allow you to also learn the pronunciation of a character at the same time. And I've been doing this method, doing it with Anki, and that helped me learn about 3,000 characters after about a year of study. I would be able to do it so much faster now if I, if I had known a bunch of the things I know now. But anyway, so I did that, started reading. I was doing stuff at university, but the stuff that university was giving me, I was doing in my own way. I was taking their content and putting it into my system. And then I signed up for the HSK-6, and I could tell Luke was like, all right, well, if you're signing up for the HSK-6, I'm going to sign up for the HSK-6. And so we both did it. It was hard, but we both passed. Uh, barely, but we both passed after um, uh, two years. He got a few more points than I did. I'm still jealous. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> but uh, the, I looked at that, and I was like, we had already been kind of talking about the idea of maybe teaching this method to foreigners around town. And he had been thinking about the idea of doing an online course for a long time. But you know, at that time, he still had just just had some ideas, plans about it, but hadn't really taken any, any major steps to making it happen. And I was like, all right, we just both passed the HSK-6 in two years. That's a hard bit of evidence that what we're doing works. It's supposed to take four. So I said, let's just, let's get some people together. Let's talk about this. Let's prepare some stuff. And we got like an experimental group of a few foreigners and we charged them very little money just to come hang out with us for a couple hours while we talked about how we did this. And we started to formulate how we could turn this into a course. And then, uh, Eventually, we realized, okay, the Heising method, despite its it being an incredible uh, 
book, an incredible source, and like I'm so impressed with what that guy did with Timothy Richardson. We still saw some areas of it. We were like, this is not consistent. There's some areas where his mnemonic devices don't follow his own pre-stated principles, and so we were like, okay. And it didn't include pronunciation. It was like, okay, you can learn the meaning of this character and how to write it, uh, but you know, you'll have to worry about the pronunciation later because it's just impossible to learn the pronunciation at the same time. Right. So actually, I was introduced to Heisig pretty recently, maybe a year ago, mm-hmm. and I've been studying Chinese for a long time. And I got his uh, his kanji book because I'm, I've been learning Chinese or Japanese for the last uh, year or so. Nice. And I noticed that with no pronunciation, there's like a big bit of context which is gone. And mm. I, I realized that this is a very proven method which has worked for a lot of people. So I'm kind of committed to sticking with it and trying it out. Yeah. But it is very alien feeling. Yeah, because it's like you're just learning this thing and you're like, well, I guess I'll use it later. And that works for nerds like Luke and I because we're willing to just go, okay, we know this is going to work. We've been reading a bunch of stuff on Chinese forums, people saying I did it and it worked. So we were convinced, but it just is hard to go, all right, well, I know what this looks like. I recognize what it means, but I don't even know how to say it yet. And if you don't know how to say it, then you obviously can't use it in spoken Chinese yet. So it's like... The, the the expectation, I guess, is that you have to learn all these characters and then you can finally start learning Chinese. And it's like, that isn't gonna work for a lot of people. And so what we uh, started to do is we were like, okay, if we can combine this method with a method that we learned about on a blog called uh, Country of the Blind, where this guy talks about how you could use rooms in your memory. So like sort of a kind of memory palace style stuff you can think of. 12, 13 places from your personal history that uh, you can easily bring to mind. Like if I tell you to think about standing in the kitchen of your childhood home, it doesn't take any time to do. It's just an instant. You can instantly uh, bring that up. And then if I say, and imagine your best friend from childhood uh, standing there and he's like holding a basketball and he's uh, whistling a tune and he's also, you know, cooking a steak on the on the stove or something. All these things are easy for us to bring to mind. And so... If you can bring people and places into your memory palace and into your mnemonic device, uh, that can allow you to remember the pronunciation simply by going, where am I right now? Oh, I'm in my childhood home. Who's standing there? My best friend. Well, that best friend represents something about the pinion, and that childhood home represents something about the pinion, and like which room in the house represents something about what tone it is. And so those things are all super easy to bring to mind, and so we were like, all right, let's systemize this. So we worked for a very long time on developing our own order of the characters, uh, our own way of making sure that everything is uh, included in each of the materials. So if I'm gonna say you're gonna learn this character, we'll remind you, okay, so it should be in this location with this person, with uh, you know these objects, so to speak, that represent the character components. And you know after you learn the method from taking our class, you'll know what to do with these materials and you'll learn the characters really quickly. Like I just interviewed an Australian guy who took our course and he finished it about two months ago and he's now almost finished with, he's at 550 out of 600 and he's like, yeah, I'm remembering everything. I remember my tones. I remember the pronunciation and it's just way more fun than just writing it over and over. That's what other people <laughs> yeah. do. They just write the character over and over and it's like, ugh, I can't even, uh, I'm like, I mean, you know, people think I'm really committed to Chinese. I'm like, no, I'm really committed to making Chinese not boring because like if it was boring, I would give up instantly. So, you know, um, I think that approaching the issue of learning Chinese really requires a meticulous preparation and a detailed approach, which is focused on all these small things because it is so big and it is so complex. And I feel like I read and write Chinese pretty well 
and I speak and understand Chinese too. And even when I'm outside on the street, every single day I see stuff that I can't understand mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Uh, so it just feels like it never ends. And I'm using a lot of the same tools and approaches that you're describing here. Mm. And I know that there, this is a small minority of Chinese learners that are using these tools, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just such a gargantuan project. And that is kind of part of the appeal of it, too, is the yeah. challenge of yeah. it and you know how difficult it is and how rewarding it is when you do get it right. Yeah, well, sure. Well, one of the things I always remind people of is that uh, there's there's many layers of analysis that you can look at any language, but just take Chinese for for example. You know, you could get down to the area of looking at individual pinyin initials and uh, finals or tones or something like that. You could get down to the level of the character components. So you know, you're looking at any individual component, with which there are probably maybe. Some people call them radicals. I think it's better to call them components because radicals were a paper dictionary organization system and we don't use paper dictionaries anymore. So, I mean, maybe some people do, but most people don't. So also components describes exactly what they are. mm -hmm. Radical sounds like, well, what's a radical? It sounds like an unnecessary abstraction at this point. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so you've got the character components, then you've got the actual character and then you've got words, which are usually two characters. And then you've got a sentence and a paragraph and a chapter of a book. Like if you want to just think of it that way. Now, our philosophy is that the correct layer of analysis to look at at the beginning is the character because many people look at they start looking into words and sentences and they get into grammar really quickly but the problem with that is like even two characters like you're putting together two characters to create uh, some kind of meaning of a word well how many character components are in those two characters probably like six or seven or something like that. And our short-term memory can handle about four things. You know, like, so you're basically going to have to go, all right, I'm just going to have to not break this down into its character components. Otherwise, it's going to be too much for my memory to handle. And then so we've got the two characters, how they generally look, but you won't know how to break them down into their components. And then you've got the pronunciation. Well, how are you going to remember that? Like, maybe you'll remember it in your short-term memory. So you've got, like, for example, I see your xiong mao for uh, panda up there. Well, that's got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven separate components that are not uh, different or they're, they're unique and then you've got the pronunciation you've got the tone you've got all of these various things that if you're starting with no foundation that's a lot to hold in your short-term memory so if you think of Chinese as having like a really cool alphabet that's about 3,000 to really master probably properly then sure it takes more time to do but if you choose to do that, then you will actually discover that it's much more logical than English is. You know, it's uh, it just requires this understanding of a separate system. But then it's just like building blocks. It's like caveman speak a lot of times. You know, like he's scared spicy. He doesn't <laughs> like spicy. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so um, uh, I would just recommend that if people are going to get into Chinese. Don't skip past the characters. It's tempting to want to do so because you feel like, oh, no, how am I going to learn all these characters first? And what I would argue is that what we're trying to do with Mandarin Blueprint is make it so that it's like, all right, you can't avoid the fact that characters are necessary. You're going to have to learn them. But we've tried to devise a system, and we've gotten good feedback that it successfully does this, which is a system that still focuses on characters but gives you them in context as quickly as possible so that you're not feeling like, well, why am I, that's the Heisig problem, right? Like, why am I learning these characters? I don't even know how to say them yet, and I guess later they'll be helpful to me. And it's like, yes, that's true. They will be helpful to you later if you go about it. But, like, if you want to start using this right away and, like, knowing how it is used in context so you feel like there's meaning to it, then, you know, hopefully we've helped solve that problem. And I, and you made a, you said a thing before you said, it's uh, incredibly complex. And I would say 
there's a lot of steps and so that makes it complex, I guess you could say. There's a lot of steps to learning it. But you know, suppose that, just for the sake of argument, that Spanish takes 10,000 steps to become fluent, whatever that is, the learning vocabulary or whatever. So maybe Chinese takes 20,000 or 25,000. But each individual step is no harder than learning you know, a, something in Spanish. It's just that there's way more steps because you're basically dealing with an entirely different system, at least. Spanish still uses uses Roman, uh, you know, characters and stuff like that, or uh, Arabic characters, or no, it's Arabic for numbers, uh, Roman characters. So yeah. So anyway, um, I, always, I always thought that there is a reassuring consistency and logical approach to the construction of the Chinese language, mm -hmm. which is absent in English because English is such a cobbled language from yeah, so yeah, many yeah. other different disparate pieces, and also the number of sounds in. Chinese, although it's not like as small as Japanese, it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. It's like if you master a pretty small number of sounds, and some of them are, are difficult for yeah. foreigners for sure, but once you get those down, then you're good. And English is a lot more difficult. You need to reproduce a lot more different types of sounds with your mouth. So there are some aspects of Chinese which are appreciably logical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually how we start our whole course. We, we have a 10 hour course just on pronunciation because Chinese pronunciation, yes, there are things about it that are going to require a little bit more effort at the beginning, but uh, there's only 409 pronunciations total, 1,200 if you include tones, because not every single one has all four tones. Uh, and so if you learn specifically, there's about 500 or so of those that include an element that we just don't have in English. But if you nail the way to practice them, it won't take that long. I mean, it's like you go to the gym and you try to get bigger, you know, biceps or triceps or something like that. Well, they're way bigger muscles than your mouth muscles. So like how long is it really going to take if you practice properly to get down these, you know, certain syllables that are different from English. And, and then it's only, you know, 409 of them. And of those 409 syllables, you know, including, well, say, say 1200, including tones, about half of them aren't that hard to learn anyway, because they're pretty close to English. So it's not as big of a challenge as you would think, and it's worth the time at the beginning. Because if you have bad pronunciation, it ruins your con confidence, doesn't it? Like you're like, yeah, somebody, I mean, like, I thought I said that perfectly, and they're <laughs> like, I don't know, what you just said ting dong. That's you know, just so. a classic, classic experience. I think that happens to everybody who's learning Chinese. But I feel like it's so great that people have the opportunity to have access to these methods and, and training regiments that you use to develop these skills. Because when I first started learning Chinese, there was none of that, I don't think. I mean, maybe Sichuan University was teaching it, but I, I kind of doubt it just based on mm. what I heard from people who had studied there. And for me, it was just try to reproduce what you've heard 10,000 times. Mm -hmm. And I would say it wrong, and people would laugh, and they would correct me, and I would say it again, and they would, the same thing would happen. And it would just countlessly happen like that until eventually it just slowly got better and better. But it's mm -hmm. such a slow, inefficient way to do it compared to having an, an explicit method to teaching the, the pronunciation in the way that you are. Mm. But I have a question. You have so much time and experience dealing with students who are learning Chinese. And I, I know that a lot of people come to your door who have been learning Chinese on their own, but maybe haven't seen the kind of growth that they want to see. I'm curious, what are some of the biggest realizations that people quickly have when they start learning with you? What are some of the biggest misconceptions that they have, which are corrected when they start training with you? Or some of the biggest like aha moments that they have? Yes, that's a good question. We've gotten lots of different uh, feedback about this. I mean, one of the one of the biggest things, which makes me feel like we picked a good name, is that calling it Mandarin Blueprint, is that a lot of people have said, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what steps I was supposed to take. I was kind of just scattershot trying out a bunch of different stuff. Now I feel like my direction is very clear. The orientation now is very clear on what 
you know, steps they need to take. And uh, so that's good. I'm very glad that people feel that way because when you when you have confidence that the direction you're going in is fine, like you think of it like you're going through the woods and originally you're just gonna walk in there and hope to figure out your way to the other side. Now you're going in with a compass and the backpack full of the stuff you need, you got a map and like, sure, you still might take a while to get through, but at least you're confident you're going the right direction, you're going in the right way. So um, that's one thing. The second thing is people have commented on, on how their tones really improved. You know, so I could give your listeners like a little bit of advice, just one thing, you know, when you're this little simple uh, tidbit here. If you're trying to learn a new word and you figure out what the tones of the word are, find another word that you've already mastered that has that same tone pair, you know, like uh, first tone, fourth tone. Gong zuo, chi fan, dao, right? Like these are all first tone, fourth tone. So it's like, if you see a new first tone, fourth tone uh, tone pair, which is, by the way, a kind of weird one for English speakers to say right off the bat, well, you can at least make some kind of connection there because you could imagine it like, uh, you know, if a trumpet plays an A and then a clarinet plays an A and then a violin plays an A, it's all the same note. It sounds different because they're different instruments. So like the pronunciation like uh, is kind of like the instrument, but the tone is like a note on the on the staff. So it's just the same one. So. If you can connect it to something you already know, that's really useful. So people have talked about how their tones got a lot better, which is a combination of the pronunciation course and how the how the um, the Hansa course that we do, which we call the Hansa Movie Method, allows you to visualize the tone in a physical location with a person there. So that the, it's a question of pronouncing the tone properly and then remembering which tone it is in the character. So we've gotten that feedback a lot. And then uh, also starting to use SRS for people, spaced repetition software for people if they haven't used it before. Uh, you know, they're delighted to find out that, you know, it, they remember everything that's going in their in their head. It's like so you can be so confident when you have a good good spaced repetition software like Anki or, you know, there's other ones out there. Uh, we're making the Mandarin Blueprint app, which will also have that in it. Um, and so... If you have that, then you can be really confident. Anything I put into this, I'm gonna remember eventually. You know, it's got like a 90 to 95% retention rate, and the five to 10% that you don't retain, well, it just gets reset to the beginning, so you will eventually remember it. So uh, those three things are probably the main, like, general points that people walk out with. And uh, we've also had a lot of people say, "Well, I feel really motivated now." Like they, you know, Luke and Phil are good at motivating, and it's like, well, yeah, because we are good at motivating ourselves. We think about it all the time. Like I wake up in the morning, I'm like, okay. How am I going to have the actions I take in this day be in alignment with my goals? Because nobody has to learn Chinese. You can learn whatever you want. But if you've made the decision, it's like, all right, well, you know, how can you make it yourself most likely for success from the moment you wake up in the morning? So, Right. I am curious about what your daily practice has been as far as acquiring Chinese or improving your Chinese. How did it start? let's say 20 months ago when you were preparing for the HSK six, what mm. was your daily practice like and how has it evolved since then? Yeah. So, well, I guess the first thing I would say is don't forget to take the important things about, uh, health seriously because it really helps learning. So, you know, exercise, exercise is incredible for learning. Uh, by the way, just a quick suggestion, go to the YouTube channel, what I've learned and look up what that guy wrote, uh, did a YouTube video on, uh, exercise and a bunch of other stuff as well. But the one on exercise particularly really motivated me because it's like you exercise, you're going to be better at learning. Let's just put it that way. Um, you can look at the video for more details, but basically take, take seriously sleep and exercise because you know, I mean, what's going to ruin a day of uh, study more than you're just tired and like you're lethargic and whatever. So that's important. And, um, you know, don't eat too much crap food as well, but yeah, like, uh, so that's one thing. Wake up in the morning, you want to come into contact with Chinese as quickly as possible. So for me, I just turn on a podcast. So like I just, you know, put on my phone. I actually make sure that it's still in airplane mode because I don't like to get, 
I like to be prepared for whatever's going to come in the day. Like, you know, it's like a business stuff or, or a class I want to take or whatever, but not right away. So when I am sleeping, my phone's in airplane mode and I don't turn it out of airplane mode, but I've got downloaded podcasts already ready to go. So I turn on the podcast, start doing that. And then, you know, just go about my normal morning, like, you know, uh, whether it's uh, making a coffee or whatever. And then and that, as, that's like a Chinese language podcast. Oh yeah. Just, right. uh, yeah. And even if I can't understand it, even if you can't understand it in the early days, it's still, there's still things you can notice about it. And right. that's the key. It's like, you know, you might go, okay, I can't understand the overall theme of this podcast, but look at all those first tones and like, look at all these, uh, you know, uh, or like all of these difficult pronunciations to, to say, and can you notice any of them? Can you mimic them? Like, is there something you can do? Like, it's like, it's just giving you an anchor that makes your brain go, Oh, stop ignoring this language. Like, it's like, you're telling your brain it's important. So that's one thing. Try to get in contact with Chinese as early as possible in the morning because it just starts your day off really well. Then, um, after that, I, when I was in the like real depth of studying, I would spend the first two hours of the day uh, doing my Anki, which I would put a lot into so that it would take at least two hours to do. So you add a lot of new sentences to it, add a lot of new, uh, well, vocabulary was probably something that I wasn't still adding to it at that point because I could learn vocabulary purely through context. And so I would spend about two hours in the morning just doing that uh, first thing after I'd get up. And, you know, I would use time boxing as a way of kind of breaking that up into manageable chunks. So I would like do one Anki deck for five minutes, take a one minute break, switch to another Anki deck for five minutes, take a one minute break, or you know some other interval, 10 minutes, two minutes, 20 minutes, four minutes, whatever. Um, and so I would do that. Uh, obviously in the early days I was still uh, at university, uh, which I, you know, I, I'm very ambivalent about recommending university to people. On the one hand, some people really need the structure of it, uh, but uh, don't have any illusions that it's the best way to learn Chinese. It's like a lot of just like, okay, we're gonna look at this article that you may or may not be interested in and then just analyze the words in it and then just kind of talk about the words. And it's like, let's, if you were a good teacher, you would just use the words. You'd be like, okay, I need to, in this week, I need to make sure that my students have mastered this list of vocabulary. Well, I'm just going to find ways of having conversation with them or showing them texts that are using the words that are interesting or whatever. Anyway, the so, student has become the teacher over here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the interesting insight you get through uh, this experience. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that's one thing. Anytime you can have Chinese playing, uh, here's a little tip. Turn the volume down if you need to be focused on something else, but don't turn it off. And the reason for that, like let's just say you're listening to it in your headphones, uh, your like ear, ear pods or something, and somebody knocks on the door, and you go, okay, I need to not have this in my ears while I'm talking to this person, but just turn it down to one. Go answer the door, talk to them, say, oh, this is a delivery guy, whatever, you go pick up your, um, your package, and then when you close the door and they've left, if you turned it off, there's a high probability that you're just going to forget that it was on and just go keep going about your day. But if you turned it down, as soon as it gets silent around you again, you're going to realize, oh, yeah, there's this Chinese playing in my ear and put it back up. So that's one little tip is turn the volume down. Turn it like because, you know, passive passive learning is like the easiest thing ever. You just don't turn it off. And then it just slowly seeps into your into your mind. I mean, I'm not saying don't do Anki, don't do any kind of conscious learning, but it's like, it's the easiest thing to do. And again, if it ever gets annoying at some point, first of all, have many different options so that you don't have to always just stick with the same content. But then the second thing is just make sure that you um, just turn the volume down if you feel like it's, it's distracting you or something, but then it's still there uh, in some level. And then later when your mood's different, like it's basically, you just have to pay attention to your mood and you just have to go, okay, well, Right now, I'm not feeling very motivated. I'm not feeling very into this. So maybe what I do is I just like 
veg out on the couch and I find a comic in Chinese that I like because you know that's Luke loves that he's a huge fan of comics and video games he's playing video games in Chinese all the time uh, which you can like buy on Taobao and uh, comics there's all these apps where you can look at comics I'm more a fan of like uh, novels and just reading like you know nonfiction books or whatever so like you know uh, obviously that's more of a recent thing comparatively like I started reading novels maybe about a year year and a half ago or so um, but Nonetheless, find the thing that you like anyway. Maybe it's movies. Find the dub. Uh, like there's uh, on Yoku, there's a great dub of Shawshank Redemption that I've watched like 10 times because it's like so interesting to see that great movie. Uh, well done, by the way. Great voice actors on that one uh, doing doing it in Chinese, The Matrix. Like, you know, there's all sorts of movies I saw as a kid that you have an emotional connection to and then you watch them in Chinese. You're like, wow, this is cool. So like when it comes to daily routine, it's hard to say exactly what it would be because every day would be different. I'd have different classes or I might have some Mandarin Blueprint obligations or the podcast or something, and then I would not be exactly sure what the next step is. But the main principle is try to have Chinese always playing if you can, and if it gets annoying, turn it down, but don't turn it off. And then w follow your mood. Like, am I feeling motivated? Okay, do a bunch of Anki. Add some things to Anki. Do things uh, where you're uh, finding new connections to your personal experience in Chinese because remember Chinese is a language and all language is meant to interpret reality in some way and then vocalize it to another person so we look at this and we go that's a lamp and so the concept of a lamp though is not in the word lamp it's there already it was a thing that you know through evolution of language people decided in a, in a geographical area that we're all going to call this thing a lamp but when you're learning a new language as an adult, the advantage you have over a kid is that you already have a concept for the majority of things you're gonna learn in the language. So take the opportunity to kind of borrow the already made neural connection that you have with that thing and connect it with, uh, you know, connect it with Chinese if you can. So that would be my recommendation to people is like, you know, connect things to your actual personal experience as much as possible. That's what memory is all about. If you just think this is a random thing, this, uh, you know, this character means ghost. Okay. But if you take a time to go, wow, that ghost movie I saw when I was four that scared the crap out of me. And you make a connection in that moment to the, to the ghost. And then you go, okay, Gui. that's the Chinese word for it. And like, you try to make some kind of personal connection to that. You're just, you're just making it like the difference between building a new canal of neural connection in your brain, digging out a whole new brand new thing versus just expanding one you already have. Way easier to do the second one. So that's another thing too, is look for those possibilities. Feel like, you should feel like learning Chinese is kind of writing an autobiography of your own personal experiences and just adding these new little things to it. And then, yeah, that to me makes the whole process much more fun, introspective, you learn more about yourself. Um, so, you know, learning Chinese doesn't even have to just be a pure like, skill set thing. It can also be kind of a journey into yourself to some degree. Wow. Dropping truth bombs, getting deep. This is good. <laughs> great stuff. As we begin to wrap this up, I would like to ask uh, you, how can um, listeners find out more for about information about you or get into Mandarin Blueprint or otherwise find out more about what you're up to? Sure. Well, um, it's out now easier than ever. So every week we run three about hour long webinars. They're free. It's just uh, purely a session to explain what it's all about. Because, you know, sometimes people will just message us and be like, you know, oh, uh, you know, so 
how much is your course or whatever? And I'm like, well, we're not the same as like, you know, I don't know, Mandarin house or just a Chinese tutoring place where you'll walk in and they'll say, uh, you know, uh, we're going to talk about what you say in a hospital today. Uh, that type of thing. We're, we're kind of all about method. We're building you a blueprint for what you're going to do. So we feel like it takes a little bit of time to explain. So every week we have three free webinars and you can sign up for them. Um, we have a QR code, but you can also sign up at mandarinblueprint.com slash webinar. Uh, and I'd also recommend that you guys check out mandarinblueprint.com slash testimonials because we've had a bunch of people from around Chengdu who have uh, taken our class already and left us some really, you know, reviews that I find to be very, you know, make, make, they make me feel like what we're doing has a lot of meaning because it's making people uh, learn Chinese faster and have a better experience in Chengdu. So, um, yeah, mandarinblueprint.com and right on the main page, uh, you can see the webinar link or just go directly to mandarinblueprint.com slash webinar and you can sign up. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, it was great. Also, I recommend listeners to check out the interview, which I recently published with Mandarin Blueprint, and that has some more information about their methodology, although I feel that much of that was covered in this episode. Thank you for listening. If you are interested in checking out other episodes of the podcast, you can find those on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also download them or stream them directly from our website at chunduliving.com. Thanks and catch you next time. <laughs>